Good evening and welcome to tonight's show. Man, I feel like it's been a really long time. It has been a really long time because since the beginning of October, I think I've only gone live like four or five, five or six times maybe, which is quite not that much for me, for us, for the channel, whatever. So I thought uh, a good way to jump back into the swing of things would be perhaps with a top 10 list. We like doing lists here on the show, and I thought, why not make a little game of it? So I'm doing 10 favorite punk albums, but here's the thing. There, there's a couple rules. Well, it's not every single song has to be it has to be an album that I listen to all the way through, like no matter what. Like I don't it's not, you know, there are some there are some record there's some bands where you know you pick a couple of songs that you really like and you just go through. And then there are other bands that you really like and you like to listen to a whole album. There are some records that you really like by a band and you listen to that record all the way through but you can't listen to any of their other, you know, records. You know what I mean? Like it all depends. It's very subjective. The criteria for this list for 10 favorite punk rock albums are not necessarily in any particular order, but they have to be albums that I love from the first song all the way through to the last song that I listened to all the way through without um, skipping any tracks. So that's the that's the criteria for my list tonight. And then I thought it would be interesting to um, go. So for each album, uh, we will cross-reference it with the review that was written on allmusic.com and see if we agree with the reviewer in their sentiments if if it's lacking or uh if it's if it's the right superlative how about that so that's what we will do now uh there's no repeats that's the other rule there can be no repeats i haven't decided if i do another one of these if i do 10 more can i pick the same band i think that would be kind of lame uh you know my definition of punk is not necessarily defined to like you know the way we like think of like a 90s punk sound and like oh yeah that's punk rock like my definition of punk there are a lot of bands that i feel like are punk adjacent that make punk albums so that's the other thing i'm thinking about is the album that they made a punk album they may not necessarily 100 be a punk band but did they make a punk album i think Almost everybody on this particular list classify could be classified as a punk band with maybe one exception. With maybe one exception. I'm not sure. So we'll see. But we'll just go through. So I've I've ordered them, but I don't this isn't a definitive order. Like I can't, like, you know, I always have problems with ranking things. Like, how am I supposed to rank? How am I supposed to rank this stuff? This stuff is impossible to rank. These are monumental records that like informed my being. How could I ever, you know, sit down and decide that one musical experience is more impactful than another? There are some bands who I could care less about, but they have albums that are so deeply meaningful, impactful, like, you know, and then I have other artists who I'm like, you know, loyal, diehard fan of this artist, but, and I like all of their music but perhaps maybe there's no single record that speaks to me the way another band does. Um, hi, Cab. How are you? I'm glad you're looking forward to the list. Hello, Alexander. 
Uh, is Ramo- Are the Ramones on my list? You will just have to find out. You will just have to find out. Do I love the Ramones? Of course. Are they on my list? Who knows? We will see. Um, let's start the list off with, and you know, what kind of annoys me a little bit is that I definitely talked about some of these records before. By the way, my throat is like destroyed right now. So I'm drinking tea, but um, it's going to get pretty haggard pretty quick. This is probably not a good idea, but whatever. We're going to go for it. Um, So let's start off right out of the gate. We have Stooges Funhouse. That's right. Stooges Funhouse. The Stooges Funhouse. This might be one of the most... Not only is it not only is it like one of my favorite punk records, it might be the single most important one of all. I don't know. I don't know if you can make that kind of claim, but this is a very, very important record, man. Really, truly. Hey, uh, I saw I saw your cartoon, shitty booze review. It was great. Your Sam Hain cartoon. That was awesome. You got to let me do. I've been, I want to do the voice for Glenn next time. I think I could do a good voice. Hi, Angus. How are you? All right. Sorry. No, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to get distracted here. We got to talk. Yes. Yes. Funhouse is the goat. Here's why it's the goat. Okay. So why is Funhouse the goat? Okay. Why is it the goat? Very simple. Because when you look back then, when you, you have to think about the time for when Funhouse, before you even listen, before you even listen to a single note that's on Funhouse, you need to think about the fact that Funhouse was written and recorded in the year of 1970, okay? That's like the first thing you need to think about. Does that somehow make the music better? I don't know. It it most certainly impacts my listening experience ever since I first listened to this album, it has deeply impacted my listening experience. Knowing that, you know what I mean? Knowing that this album was recorded in 1970, you think about all of the music that was coming out just a few years earlier, Sergeant Pepper, you know what I mean? Like the beach boys, you know, like the, even I don't know, although I'd say the, the Doors, the first Doors album, I, I mean, Break On Through has kind of got a punky, punky feel to it a little bit, a little bit. I mean, just think about all the music that was coming out of the 60s. And sure, you know, on the flip side in 1970, you had heavy, you definitely had heavy stuff. I mean, you had you had the first Black Sabbath album. Led Zeppelin was coming around. But even those seemed to follow, they were heavy and they were distorted, but they seemed to follow some sort of established pattern, okay? So like in the realm of like Led Zeppelin, in the realm of Black Sabbath, you're like, wow, this sounds heavy. It's really heavy. It's different, but it's still doing like, I don't know, it's following the track, Funhouse is not following any track. Funhouse is not trying to be commercial in its aim. Like, what were the Stooges intending with Funhouse? What were they intending in general getting signed to a label like Electra, you know, along with the MC5 and being label mates with the Doors? 
you know, when, you know, Iggy took a lot of inspiration from Jim Morrison. He saw Jim Morrison live. He saw him without the shirt on and the leather pants. And he was like, this is it, man. This is this like bacchanal, you know, hedonism on stage. So it's like, it's like, <clears throat> it's like Iggy, you know, Iggy, he wants, he has this quote and I'm going to probably butcher it right now. He said something along the lines of, I wanted to bring the blues to like white suburban teenage kids in the, in a way it's kind of similar to what Elvis did. Right. You know, in both cases you have these, like you have these, these white musicians um, sort of connecting and bonding with black music on a deep level and they become these like these bridges, like these transcending bridges. And so what does Iggy bring with him to an audience that's far outside of maybe what you know uh blue the blues blues musicians are playing to? He brings the angst and depression and you know that the 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 feeling of the blues, you know, the blues they always talk about it. they always you know, talk about movies. He brought the blues. What did Elvis bring? He brought, you know, I mean, he brought the, he saw the moves. He saw the gyration. He saw um, the soul and he tried to, and he took that. You know what I mean? And here's the thing too. And I want to do a longer topic about this. Like there's a lot of sort of like, you know, there's a lot of mixed feelings about that. You know, how, how, how like the, the co-opting of somebody's music and then getting rich off of it. And to an extent you could say that it's exploitation or cultural appropriation or whatever you want to call it. But I don't see it that way. I see it as this unifying factor, you know, rock and roll is the reason why is one of the things that broke down the barriers of segregation. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's the same thing with food. I'm, I'm about to go on the rant. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stay on track. I have a whole rant about this, about how like these things are meant to be taken. They're meant to be taken so that they could be mixed and unify people, not separate them. Um, you know, assuming, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. The point being is that that is the focal point. That is the beginning of this sort of return to form return to the uh simplistic nature of the uh, the original rock and roll spirit um as well as the spirit of punk rock so there was no name there was no name for it there wasn't they weren't calling it punk no one was calling it punk and yet what these guys were doing was so counterculture it was so it was counterculture to the counterculture because it could be argued that the beatles and whoever even though that they were you know the mainstream pop musicians they were also they were they were keyed into counterculture right like they're keyed into it too you know and now and now here you have this band in 1970 after the beatles do like helter skelter after Black Sabbath, well, maybe at the same time as Black Sabbath comes out. I, I see Angus is mentioning Blue Cheer. You know, we've heard, you know, people bring up the kinks. Uh, on a separate line, you have um, the Sonics doing Psycho and Strychnine. You have Link Ray doing Rumble. You have um, 
the seeds pushing too hard, evil hoodoo, all the fuzz, 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 bah, fuzz guitar and, <coughs> you know, fu fuzzy organs and stuff, all that stuff. And in that sort of tradition, you have these guys that are then kind of, but in all of those musics, like they're all sort of like aiming towards being popular and commercial. And I just feel like the Stooges, and that's why the Stooges always stood out to me, you know, uh, in the same way, they're the great, they're kind of like the great unifier of every fucking punk band, you know, sort of in the same way that everyone goes through the Ramones, you also go through the Stooges and the Stoo, even the Ramones themselves were Stooges fans and they were fans of this album. What makes this album so great? I don't think I need to read the all music review for this one because this is just like, so I can just like endlessly fucking talk about this endlessly, endlessly talk about this. Um, all you got to do is just, just when you put on the record, when you put on down on the street, the first song on the record, just be like, this was written in 1970. Just think about that. Think about that. As you listen to Iggy, who is sometimes singing, but so often he is shrieking like an animal there's this animalistic wildness present that you just don't even on like you know i don't know like a motorhead record you know <laughs> maybe that's a bad example you know let me at least let me you know even in his gruff voice he's singing you know everyone's singing no one's no one's doing iggy is just making these weird vocalizations you know, these, these strange, um, sounds. I mean, this is the first song on the record and then it goes into loose and the band is like a freight train. They're tight. They're, they're synced up together. Ron Ashton, Dave Alexander, rock action. They just, they're locked in like a unit, uh, you know, pushing, pushing the uh, Iggy's engine forward. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And this album, this album was recorded live in the studio with Don Gallucci, who uh, from the Kingsman. King, no, what the hell is it? Yeah, the Kingsman, right? The guys who did Louis, who made Louis Louis popular, something the studios would cover. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's magic. And there, you know, if you ever listen to like the the um, you know the complete takes, like they've they've released everything now as it relates to Funhouse, and like. Oh my God! There's just there. There's just so much. It's amazing to listen to the songs sort of develop. You know, uh, each take of loose is slightly is, is different. You know, um, and then you got a song like TVI. Think about the, the 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 the. He's like in agony. He's in agony right before the break in the song, and then he just starts shrieking and screaming. Nobody was doing that. Nobody's doing that. That is. In my opinion, that is absolutely the invention of punk punk rock vocalization. It is. There was, there's nothing before that. I mean, sure, people would like, you know, scream and 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 shake and shout and stuff, but nothing like that. Absolutely nothing. A song like "Dirt," "Dirt" is a straight up blues song, man. You know, and it's long. You know, this is where. This is where they go from being a straight up punk band to kind of being a proto punk band in the sense that like they're not, you know, they're not. It, it, we think of punk songs as like these really short, 
three chord songs with with a sense of urgency and that's the way things are on funhouse until you get to dirt there's only seven songs too that's what's really crazy well you could even say technically there's only six songs that's what's so insane about funhouse it's seven friggin tracks man it's seven tracks it's like it's you know like what is it, like uh 40 minutes of music you get to track four and suddenly you get into the slow groove dirt. You say, I'm, I feel like dirt. I feel hurt and I don't care. You know, um, that that's the blues, man. So it's like, you really see how you really see how when Iggy talks about that today, you could see him trying to do that. And then we get thrown into 1970, 1970s, like, you know, it's been covered by a lot of bands. You know, that was something that the Damned loved to cover. In fact, I think they covered it on their first record. 1970, great, great band. Uh, Australian band, Radio Birdman, thought they that's what they heard Iggy saying. So that's what they named their band, you know, um, Radio Birdman up above. Uh, and and that devolves again into like this this tantrum. That's what he does. He has like tantrums. I feel all right. I feel all right. I feel all right. And that turns into um, just a, a wild, a wild groove. Uh, and it finishes up with LA Blues, which is pure chaos. Before Lou Reed ever decides that he is going to piss people off with uh, machine metal machine gun music to get out of a record contract in the 70s, which is just noise i mean literally noise it's funny it's <coughs> lou reed talks about you know the guy who would end up making a concept album with metallica in 2011 shortly before he died he, he sums up his all of his feelings about heavy metal mu <laughs> heavy mu heavy metal music by making by releasing machine <laughs> machine metal music on you know two disc a two disc album which is just a cacophony of of loud metal noises it's really funny um so long before Lou Reed even did that <clears throat> you have this I, the only way to describe it is a freak out and it's kind of the closest thing I would say it's the closest thing to what if you know the what the original stooges when the stooges were you know when they first started out in 67 it's hard to believe that the, the stooges got their start in 67 they were contemporaries of the sergeant pepper beetles like that that blows my mind when you think about that and they were doing all sorts of avant-garde type things you know we always hear the kettle drums and the the oil drums and the you know um tax in a blender and microphones in a blender and this that and the other just like very sort of avant-garde, very loose songs, very loose jams. And it feels like LA Blues is like them documenting something like that. This chaos, and you have Steve McKay on sax, and it's just the the whole record just basically flat. It explodes apart over the course of, I don't know how long LA Blues is. I think it's about seven seven-ish minutes of just chaos and you would think maybe it's like Revol revolver uh revolution number nine which is something that i think everybody is gonna like you know people i skip it i skip revolution i mean sometimes i'll listen to it but i i mostly skip it those tracks that we skip i never skip la blues i never skip it it really is a testament to la blues and how great it is so 
Uh, you know, I think I'm going to do that all the way through. I think I can talk. I think I can really talk about these records. I was going to read the all music reviews and see if I agreed with them. I don't think I'm going to do that, though. I think I like this better. I think I could just talk. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to talk. I could talk. When you can talk the talk, you can walk the walk. And when you can walk the walk, you can talk the talk. I think the T is helping me a little bit, my, my voice. So that's number one. Stooges, Fun House. If you've never listened to this album, you have to now go do it. I mean, I'm going to say that for every record that we um, that we cover here tonight. Um, okay, <laughs> here is uh, here is my my next pick. This is the Dead Boys number two. Dead Boys, younger, louder, snottier. Now. This is important to note, and this is the exact album. There's a few different album covers. This is the album cover that I have, and I'm glad it's the album cover that I have. Uh, a few things to note about Dead Boys, Younger, Louder, and Snottier. So before, before they released Young, Loud, and Snotty, which is their first record, they did two records, two records officially they did Young, Loud, and Snotty, and they did We Have Come For Your Children. And, you know... Both are very polished, especially the second one. We've come for your children is very polished. And the funny thing about the dead boys is I feel like their recordings. It's kind of like, again, to, I keep referencing the Beatles here. John Lennon has always talked about how like the Beatles, like the, the real be the Beatles were before the Beatles were the Beatles. Actually, there's going to be a few Beatles references in this episode. Before the Beatles were the Beatles, they were the Ramones. Like, legit, they were the Ramones. They wore leather, full leather. Paul was calling himself Paul Ramone when he checked into hotels. And they were playing fast, three-chord, you know, two-minute rock and roll songs, you know, um, taking uppers and just going crazy and just, you know, being wild and 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 rambunctious. I mean, they were punk rock. They, the original rock and roll is punk rock. You know, they were punk rock. Um, it's not until that they hook up with, you know, uh, George Martin and start working in Abbey Road and their, their sound becomes cleaner, more, you know, commercial, more friendly. And I feel like to an extent, that's kind of what happened to the Dead Boys with Young, Loud, and Snotty. No, I got nothing against it, but it just feels so clean and sanitized compared to Younger, Louder, and Snoddier. Now, what is Younger, Louder, and Snoddier? Bob Clearmountain, who was an engineer, and he, man, he what is he? He was in a band. He was in a band later on, and he's also credited as playing bass on one track, but he's, he's credited on playing bass on one track, and I think John DeSalva from Tough Darts, who I interviewed a while back, John DeSalva is the one who plays bass as well on, on this record because Jeff Magnum, the bass player, hadn't come over from Cleveland, Ohio. The band is from Cleveland, Ohio. They transplanted to New York. In fact, their first gig was at CBGB's. They got it through Joey Ramone. They were very much influenced by the Ramones like everybody else was. And Hilly Crystal, the owner of CBGB's, ended up managing them, right? And they, you know, of course, drugs and debauchery and craziness blew them apart. We covered Stiv Bader's um, 
he tried to do a band with Didi Ramone and Johnny Thunders, and that didn't work out too well in 1990, right before, shortly before he died. But, um, but what was I, why did I talk about that? Point being, Dead Boy's younger ladder snottier was a uh, rescued from a mixtape that Bob Clear Mountain, that, that engineer I mentioned who played bass, he had a mix down tape of early mixes that were done by Ch with Cheetah, Bob, and Stiff Baders. They made these mixes, and these mixes are so fucking dirty. They're so, it's the equivalent of taking clean celluloid 16 millimeter celluloid film and dragging it on the floor to get like little bits of grit and sand and you know crap all over it to make it feel more you know uh gritty gritty is the word and you know adding the er on the end younger louder snottier is such an accurate you know it's such an accurate apropos label for what it is and you know like i said it i think it accurately captures what the dead boys really were all about that was the whole reason why i brought up the beatles before it captures the original beatles cuz john lennon always said you, you if you wanted to hear what the beatles really were before they became the beatles you got to listen to the hamburg stuff and none of it was recorded the star tapes they exist the start from the star club <clears throat> so this is kind of like the star tapes for the dead boys, you know, and the dead boys don't have a, didn't record nearly the amount that the Beatles did. Obviously <clears throat> I can't believe I'm even having a conversation about the Beatles and the dead boys at the same time. Like I'm comparing and contrasting the two. It's kind of weird. My throat is starting to go <clears throat> and we're only on album two. This sucks. Um, I, where did I pick this up on St. Mark's on the Lower East side? When I was a boy, when I was 18 years old, I went to a record store called Sounds on St. Mark's, no longer there, RIP. And I was looking to listen to the Dead Boys because I saw that logo and I was reading about them in Legs McNeil's book. And I was thinking, my God, like this is the band for me. This is the band. Like, I, I don't know what they sound like, but I just know, I just know I'm going to love the, these guys. Dead Boys. They call themselves Dead Boys. Awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And when I heard Young, Loud, and Snotty, I was so underwhelmed. Uh, I believe this came out in 1977, the record. I was so underwhelmed by Young, Loud, and Snotty. And then when I heard Younger, Loud, or Snotty, and that was the one that I bought, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. You got songs, Sonic Reducer, Caught with the Meat in Your Mouth. Um, Hey Little Girl, which is a cover, by the way. Um, got Syndicate of Sound. Talk about those garage rock bands. I think, in fact, they covered that because it was on Nuggets. It's on the Nuggets compilation compiled by Lenny, uh, Lenny K in 1972. Um, great. Down in Flames, which is kind of like their version of Death Trip. They were huge. Huge fans of the Stooges, uh, the Dead Boys. Huge fans. And it's very evident in Cheetah Chrome as he is always trying to tastefully, uh, lovingly channel James Williamson with to great effect. 
You know, it's not, it, there's nothing fake about it. Like, it's just great. And um, the drumming is just on another level. Uh, uh, friggin' um, Johnny, uh, Johnny Blitz, Johnny Blitz, sorry. Johnny Blitz, his drumming, he is the Keith Moon of punk rock. He, he, he has this, he has this. Uh, on what love you listen to what love is you listen to the drum fills on what love is and you just that whole this whole record like melts my fucking face off like just thinking about this record makes me want to punch the computer screen in the face it's so good it's so excellent um the songwriting is excellent not anymore ain't nothing to do songs about angst you know it really is a snotty record. It's the perfect way to describe it. And when you have the younger, louder, snottier, when you have the difference, and it really just goes to show you how, like, a studio mix of the same songs of the same recordings can, like, make, can be the night and day difference. You know, uh, just listen to them back to back. I, I advise anybody who's ever, who's never listened to younger, louder, snottier. You know what it's like? You're going to feel like you've been wearing a condom your whole life and you're going to feel like you just ripped it off for the first time. That's what it feels like. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> Did I really just say that out loud? Yes. That's the best way to describe younger, louder, snottier. It's it's like doing it without a condom. <laughs> oh, boy. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I just, I love this freaking record. Every single song I love. I mean, and the stories about them are legendary. I got to hang out with the Dead Boys. I hung out with all the Dead Boys except for Stiv because he was dead. Um, I really hung out. This guy right here, Jimmy Zero. He brought me, they were playing CBGB's Gallery. The, the These guys, these four guys. And I was hanging out backstage at the CBGB's Gallery right next door. And I was hanging with Jimmy and his girlfriend, and he was telling me about how they used to call up James Williamson. I walked right up to him and I asked him, I said, is it true that Stiv used to jerk off in the chili? And I think he was so like, cause there was a line out the door. I've told the story before. There was a line out the door for the show. And, uh, there was a line out the door for the show. And, um, none of these kids recognized that Jimmy zero was standing right in front of them. He was smoking a cigarette. I was smoking a cigarette. And I, I was like, that's fucking Jimmy Zero. So I walk up to him like, hey, man. <laughs> I was like, there's no, by the way, there's no cell phone. There's no internet. Like, this is 2005. Like, there's no, I'm, I'm not like Googling this on my phone. I just recognized him. I walk up to him. I think he was so pleased that I recognized him that he's like, hey, come in. He's like, come with me. Come with me. And so I followed him to the, to the gallery and we, we hung out and then Cheetah, Cheetah just had a baby. So he's holding his baby. His son is now this, this tall. And, you know, I didn't really talk with the other guys. He introduced me. I sat, the person I sat with and hung out with was Jimmy Zero and his girlfriend on the couch. And this was before you couldn't get, we had come for your children. I had never listened to it at the time. And he took down my address. He said he was going to send me a burned copy. He didn't send me a burned copy, but I was still so touched that he, at the gesture that he would, he was going to burn me a copy and send it to me. I goddamn Jimmy Zero, coolest fucking guy ever. He's like, yeah, we used to call up James Williamson, you know, uh, and just sit, you know, uh, Cheetah and I and Stiv, and we just sit and ask him questions about 
doing raw power and he would just entertain all of our questions. And so, you know, I don't know. I thought that was so cool, man. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the uh, contribution from shitty booze reviews. If you are a fan of Sam Hain, um, uh, shitty over here is really great at doing cartoons. And I just subscribed to the channel. You all should as well. Really, really fun stuff. Uh, check it out. Um, I worked on St. Mark's Place in the 90s. My dad has this LP. I have it on my wall in his honor. You should yeet. You got to go listen to it right now. If you've never listened to it, give it a listen. Steve covered. I had too much to dream later. That's right. From the Chocolate Watch Band, who I saw when I saw the Stooges and the Dictators, I saw the Chocolate Watch Band as well. Um, we got Crazy White Boy in the house. What's up? Of course, the, the Yeet. I'm so glad. Have, I have no fear because the Yeet is here. Um, so yeah, so that's so that's it, man. Check out check out Dead Boys Younger Louder Snottier. I can't. I, I can't uh, I can't recommend this record enough. It's just so fucking great. So fucking great. All right. On to the next the next record. Okay. Here we have Buzzcocks singles going steady. This technically breaks one of the rules. One of my rules for myself, technically, which I didn't mention. I should have mentioned this at the beginning, um, was to not include any like greatest hits compilations oh thank you right the elect it was the electric prunes not the chocolate watch band oh, i do believe that they did play little stevens though so um i told myself that i wasn't going to include any greatest hits records i don't think this counts as a greatest hits record this is a compilation and i wasn't going to include compilations either but um i really wanted to include albums why because albums are you know, there, there's something, even if albums have kind of become archaic now, like in today's day and age, like you don't want to be releasing albums per se. Maybe you want to release EPs or singles. You know, if you're trying to make commercial music, even on an independent level, it seems to make the most sense in the, in the, in the age of YouTube and Spotify and all these things you want to, you know, put out a song, do a video for that song and put it out and try and, and build traction that way or, you know, releasing little bits of music at a time. You know, we, we live in an age where content, where it's like you want to have new content every day instead of putting out one album like once a year or whatever. You know, you could put out a song every month. You know, there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. But back then, back in the day, an album is like this. It's a statement from a band. It's, um, it, it's an artistic piece in and of itself, right? An, an album. It's a bunch of songs that fit together, you know, either by emotion or I don't know, not necessarily. Sometimes it could be eclectic. It's not, it doesn't have to be a concept album per se. And they are, the songs are sequenced by the band. So everything that's done is super intentional, right? Like it's an intentional sort of, sort of statement that you are making. So that's kind of like part of the appraisal here. We're looking at albums. Now, I've said all that to say that I've made an exception for singles going steady, which was a compilation that the Buzzcocks put out in 1979. Why did they put it out in 1979? What was the purpose is because they were, 
I believe they were trying to sort of like break out into America and they wanted something. They needed a package that they could just sort of, you know, introduce to American audiences that at the time they had, I think they had an out, they had, a, they had, they had, what they had love spiral scratch and love bites. But essentially what they were doing was they're taking all these singles that they had done, put out. I mean, I think they started in 76. So it's like three years of recording, recording stuff. I wonder if they show on the back here. No, they don't, but here's all the songs. Um, <clears throat> Roughly three years of three, three, maybe three to four years of recording stuff, right? Because they probably, they probably, even if they they started in '76, they probably were forming in in '75. At least, you know, Shelley Devoto and and Devoto, uh, Howard Devoto and Peter Shelley, um, who are like sort of like the original brain brain trust nucleus of of this of this uh, band. Um, they put out this record, this compilation, and it is immaculate. It might be one of the greatest compilations ever made, in my opinion. It's, it really is. It, it is by far, when I first realized that it was not a record and that it was actually a compilation, it was not an album, it was not an LP, I was like, I was shocked because I was like, the songs, like the songs just all work so well together. How could this not be? How could this not be an LP? How could this not be an, an album a, an album statement being kind of put out by the band? Um, lots of songs about love and heartbreak and relationships and just, you know, very, some of it very relatable. I, I, I fucking love this record. I love Peter Shelley's songwriting. I was fortunate to get to see the Buzzcocks at Webster Hall in 2017 and now, you know, Peter Shelley is gone. He's left us. And I'm just so grateful that I got to see him. I got to see him do all the hits that I wanted to see. I feel really, really good about that. Yes, Howard DeVoto, not only did he go on to do magazine, but there's a song that he does called Shots Fired, I think. And Shots Fired has almost the exact same song structure as Lipstick, which is one of my... Favorite, if not favorite, Buzzcock songs. Of course, Orgasmatic. I mean, just so frigging, so frigging good. Um, how you doing, Matt, John? Uh, I'll, I'll get to some of these comments that aren't related to what I'm talking about in a little bit. I don't want to alienate anybody, but I got to I gotta make sure I'm staying on top topic here. Um, just this track listing is just so great. I mean, just the opening song, Orgasm Addict, like just the idea, you know, and again, like, Go, we've talked about, I've talked about in the long time ago, long, long time ago, I talked about how, like, with the Misfits, I was saying that, like, the Misfits are, are they, are the Misfits a political band? That's, that was the question I asked. And I, you know, sort of flippantly, uh, you know, semantically said that they were. And the politics that the Misfits sang about were not, they were not like politics, politics. They were social, social politics. That's what the misfits were singing about. They were singing about, you know, like I turned into a Martian or, you know, like just like stuff like that. That's what the misfits are singing about. That's what they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, uh, feelings of alienation and just, you know, I don't know, all sorts of stuff. 
Um, I mean, it's not true because, you know, you could say that bullet is probably a political song either which way. I don't know. The point point being is that the Buzzcocks, too, are singing about social politics or the politics of being human, the politics of humanity, the idea of what orgasm, <laughs> being an orgasm addict, you know, loving you know, orgasms so much that you are addicted to them. I mean, who isn't addicted to orgasms? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like stuff like that. What do I get? I don't mind. I don't mind is such an incredible song. I'm in love again. Been like this before. I'm in love again. This time's true. I'm sure. Don't want to end up like no any other. Oh, I just so great. And then of course, a song like ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have fallen in love with. We all have fallen in love with someone we shouldn't have fallen in love with. It's just, Oh, it's so good. Everybody's happy nowadays is every single stroke song. Like the strokes literally took this one song and then wrote a hundred songs from everybody's happy nowadays. Um, promises, harmony in my head, whatever happened to, oh shit, a ton, all of it, noise, noise. Uh, for me, lipstick is, I went going back to lipstick. Lipstick is a song of, you know, I, I've talked about lipstick before. Uh, I have a special affinity for that song. I just, there's something, the, the songwriting is so, the lyrics are so, uh, next level. You know, uh, when you kiss me, does the lipstick on your lipstick on my face? Will you miss me? Th this line in your dreams, does your lover have my face? What a line. What a fucking line. I mean, like, that's just unreal. Um, You just can't, you can't go wrong with Buzzcock singles going steady. You can't. You really, really can't. Something's gone wrong again. I mean, this stuff is so relatable. All of it is so relatable. Just lust. Um, you know, and then here's the other thing. Like we talked about, like I'm talking about like the subject matter and like lyrically what, what they're all about. But then like musically, you have a band that, again, talking about tightness, these guys, it, you know, they have the same, I said I was going to talk about the Beatles again. And I think this is, this is where I'm talking about the Beatles. You have, you have a band where you got two guitars, a bass player, and a drum drummer, and they're so tight, and they basically sound like the 1964 Beatles trying to play punk rock in 1976. That's what they sound like. That like it sounds like you listen to, like it's funny when I listen to "She Loves You," "She Loves You," yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think of two bands when I listen to "She Loves You." I always think about the Buzzcocks now. And I also think about the Ramones and I feel like both of those bands would have just done incredible covers, especially the Ramones on she loves you. Um, my point being is they sound like they sound like the Beatles, man. They sound like early hard days, night Beatles uh, just in uh, just years later, years later, faster, um, faster, more intense, more, more energy, even more energy somehow. Uh, it's just, oh God, this record, it, it's so great. It really, it really, really is. And it goes by so fast too. 
it just it 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 just uh, each song just folds into the next one. It might as well be it uh, in a way. It's almost like it honor in an honorary way. It is. It is now. What's up, Kevin? Forty five. Angus says the Spiral Scratch EP was comparable to Singles Going Steady. Uh, what songs from from Spiral Scratch are on Singles Going Steady? I remember that there are, there were that they, that there is a little overlap. I'm too lazy to check and see. And now you know you have Steve Diggle is the is the only original member left fronting the band as a four piece. It's kind of lame, man. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. I'm not too pleased. I thought that the band should have died with Peter Shelley. It was cool that Peter Shelley and Steve Diggle were still there doing it. Steve Diggle always sang Harmony in My Head. That was his song that he wrote. Uh, I mean, the mo just about everything else is really written by mostly by Shelley. They're all Peter Shelley songs. How can you have Peter a uh, Peter Shelley song band without Peter Shelley in it? I just don't think I don't think you can. Um, boredom and fast cars were two. I cannot remember. Hmm. Uh, it's a sticky situation. And you know what else is sticky? Riot fucking stickers. That's right, guys. Riot stickers here at the From Us channel is our sponsor. We got to take a quick sponsor break to tell you about Riot stickers. You can get a thousand Riot stickers for $79. Link is down in the description. These stickers are printed on vinyl, um, they have a UV coating which protects them from the sun. You can't go wrong with Riot stickers. The value you get is insane. I'm a big fan of Riot stickers. They don't just print stickers. They also do banners. They do buttons. They do everything you can imagine. T-shirts. You really can't go wrong with Riot stickers. So check them out today. Riotstickers.com. Let's play a little video and we'll come back to you with album number four. I don't know if I can make it to all 10. This is like we're already at 45 minutes. I wasn't expecting this to, to be like this. the bomb that's a fact don't forget it don't forget it okay so yeah breakdown time's up boredom friends of mine ah okay so it doesn't have anything from singles going steady why did i think that there was some from singles maybe it's love bites who that has it i don't know uh we gotta we gotta keep moving on here though we gotta keep moving on or else i mean we could just talk about this forever all right this next one yeah, all right, so here's our first really unconventional pick. I would say this is an unconventional pick for top 10 punk albums. Um, some of you may appreciate this. Some, I know Kevin, if Kevin is still here, I, don't know, I know he popped in to say hello. 
If Kevin is here, I know he's going to appreciate this one as much as I do. And that would be boom, baby. Only theater of pain by Christian death. Oh, is this a mamma jam of a record? Mamma jam of a record. All right. So you got this guy, Roz Williams. He forms the band Christian death at the age of 16 in 1979. And he hooks up with uh, Rick Agnew, who had recorded or did he record? Had he already done or he was going to do it? I don't know if it's Christian death predate him in Christian death predate the adolescence, the blue album. I don't remember. I don't know which one comes first. Someone look that up for me. Any case, Rick Agnew, you know, Rick Agnew has been involved with a lot of bands. He's, he's, you know, uh, he's like punk rock royalty. Um, One of the, one of the lesser discussed, I guess people always, you know, talk about him when it comes to like the adolescence, but not, not, I feel like uh, Christian death doesn't come up as much as it should. Wow. Super jealous of Roger W seeing the original lineup in the early nineties. That would have been George on drums, Roz, Rick Agnew and James McGreedy on guitar. Now, right now, Rick and, James have a band with London May and this other guy, and they do they do a band called Symbolism, uh, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, this record is you know people say this is like not only is it a punk rock record, but it also kind of it's a post punk record. I would say what is post punk? Post punk is okay. So remember how we said we were talking before about. We were talking before. Okay, adolescence was first. That's what I thought. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, the Agnew brothers, Reverend. Yeah, the third Frank Agnew was in TSOL. So, so you had, we were talking before about how, you know, really the original rock and roll kind of was punk, right? And then it sort of became, it evolved into what it evolved into. And then, punk rock is sort of like that return to form and then it's like as punk rock continued to exist as like a form of music and sort of expanded and changed and shifted it kind of blended with you know uh synths and dance elements and and sort of and goth like gothy sort of vibes goth music goth visuals and you get this thing that it's it's not punk anymore. I don't even know how anyone classifies this. It's all fucking punk. It's all just music, whatever. Sounds so stupid with these labels, but you get this thing that's post-punk. And post-punk is very, you know, I feel like it's more dance-oriented. It's not uh it's not an aggressive, it's not aggressive music. Although you can hear there's some aggressive stuff on this record, and I feel like that's courtesy of of Rick Agnew. What, what he brings to the table. This is absolutely a record to own if you don't own it. It's put out by Frontier, which also put out the first, um, also put out the first uh, uh, TSOL record, uh, Dance With Me, right? The Posh Boy put out the EP, but then Dance With Me is on Frontier, I think. Or is it, no, no, no. Um, maybe Beneath the Shadows is on Frontier. In any case, uh, Rick and 
Roz Williams wrote all these songs, Cavity First Communion. I mean, it sounds so different. Now, you know, going back to talking about like, what is punk? What is the punk sound? Does punk have a sound? Does it make it not punk to have a punk sound? I mean, you if you say that's true, then you have to say that everything that came out in the 90s isn't, you know, punk rock, you know, because it's all sort of that same kind of cookie cutter sound. In uh, in New York City in the early to mid seventies, the that for, that first punk rock scene, punk was not a genre of music. It was a music scene. All of the bands, no band sounded. Talking Heads did not sound like Patti Smith, which did not sound like the the Ramones, which did not sound like the Dead Boys, which did not sound like the New York Dolls. You know, I mean, they there were loose connections there, the voidoids, you know, I mean, they, but they were all different. They were all sort of different television. They were all doing different kind of things, and yet they all fall under the punk banner. And so I think that, the, you know, Christian death is another branch of that tree, and that branch is death rock. What is death rock? It's, glo it's gloomy. There's a... I don't know. There's like an emphasis on on the bass guitar. Um, I guess you could say the thing that we always say about Sam Hain, like the tribal drum beats, a lot of bass bass drum drum beats, a lot of kind of like dance rhythm. You know, if 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 you could even call that, I don't even know how to. I don't think of. I don't think of only. I don't feel like dancing to only theater of pain though. It's a, it's a crazy record. I don't even know how to talk about how to talk about it musically a lot of um a lot of you know sort of indictment of religion religious themes the band is supposed to be the name is supposed to be a play on christian dior which is a perfume instead it's christian death i mean it's you know it's it's trying to be it, it is anti-establishment man that's what it is that's what it's trying that's what it's trying to be. Yes, Christian, this album did come out in 82, but the band formed as early as 79. When when did Rick Agnew get involved? I don't know, but that's when they started writing these records. Now, the band history is as twisted and crazy as anything that happened in the band TSOL or anything that happened in the in the Misfits. Right? I mean, the Misfits is not really that crazy, but what happened in TSOL is like really insane. And what happened in Christian death is similar. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's not, you know, it's a story kind of old as time. Basically what happened was this band released this album and then it, they broke up. This band dissolved. Then Roz Williams hooked up with a band called Pompeii 99 featuring Valor canned. And they decided <clears throat> because they could get a record deal, it'd be easier to market because this record was a cult classic. As soon as it came out, it was just, it was a hit. Christian Christian death, only theater of pain. Um, because of the status of this record, you had, um, because of the status of this record, you had label interest in Europe that was like, hey, we want to record a record, but we want to do it as Christian death. And Valor was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's just change the name to Christian death. So now, the band is called Christian Death, and they put out two records. One is Catastrophe Ballet, which is a fucking amazing record, too. 
And the second one is called Ashes. And those both feature Roz that in 84 and 85, respectively, David Glass on drums. Um, the lineup is basically Pompeii 99 with, with Roz Williams. So the guys, James McGreedy and, and George and, um, and Rick Agnew, they're not in the band anymore. And then what happens is Roz decides to leave his own band and Valor continues on as Christian death without Roz. So you have no original members in Christian death going by the name Christian death. And they put out tons of albums. And then nineties the Roz decided he wanted to take the name back. And he, you know, he did a bunch of stuff. He did uh die cow something and premature ejaculation. And, um, uh, God, what else? A shadow project with Ava. O. Ava O does backing vocals in there. She had her own group called the super heroines. Um, Eventually, Roz is like, I'm going to start putting out records called Christian Death again. Roz Williams, Christian Death, whatever. And him and Valor would go back and forth. They'd go at it, this, that, and the other. But he signed a deal with Cleopatra, and he put out um, Pathway of Sorrows. Put out three records, The Iron Mask, Pathway of Sorrows, and what was the third one? I forget. A couple other things too. And then yeah, there were reunions in the 90s. The original lineup got back together and they played, they were playing shows. By the way, at the same time, you had Valor doing his own Christian. Valor released consistently has released Christian Death Records ever since he was with Roz. For as long as I've been alive, Valor Can has been releasing Christian Death Records. I saw them live once. It was not, it was just a three-piece lineup. He had this what's her face on bass. It just not my thing. But um Valor was a nice guy. I met Valor. He was a nice guy. He was nice to me. Roz uh, left in 98, if you know what I mean. He uh, he unalived himself. And um, and that's it, man. That's it. The record is just astounding. I named my movie is named after one of the songs, Romeo's Distress, uh, Spiritual Cramp, Incredible Song, Death Wish, Prayer. I mean, all this stuff is great. Um. Cavity First Communion might be one of the best opening songs on any punk rock record. It is, it's really great. It just, it sets the mood. It feels kind of like an incantation. Um, yes, Roz even covered Panic in Detroit on Pathway of Sorrows, uh, that 90s Christian Death album. Uh, love David Bowie. He loved David Bowie. Yeah, man. Cavity First Communion, phew, figurative theater. I mean, it's just all of it's great. It really is. You can just listen. I can listen to it over and over and over again. This one has some bonus tracks. So they did five. They did uh they did an EP called um God, what was the name of the EP? I forget. What was the name of the EP? But it features dogs, Romeo's distress, spiritual cramp, cavity, and desperate, desperate hell. Those were the demo recordings. So they did some demo recordings before they actually went in and recorded the whole album. Dream for Mother. Just great. Just really, really great. In 2007, they kind of did like a sort of reunion thing with Ava O singing, and it really works. Uh, yeah, right. It was the Death Wish EP. Thank you. Um, Ava O singing for this sort of pseudo. They called themselves Christian Death 1337, so they didn't get sued by... Um, they didn't want to get sued by Valor. 
No, Hell Comes to Your House is actually an L.A. death rock compilation. So while Christian Death maybe not aren't credited with inventing death rock, they most certainly they most certainly um, they most certainly like are the most prominent one of at that time. Um, this record is great. I can't recommend it enough. It's just phenomenal. Really, truly. Woof. <coughs> okay. On to the next one. My voice is killing me, you guys. Fuck. I don't know if I could do this. How am I going to talk about these other five records, man? I don't know if I can. This tea isn't working anymore. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> refocusing. Refocusing. All right. This next one is The Dictators Go Girl Crazy. Hell motherfucking yes. Going back to the, the proto-punk sound, we were saying before how, you know, punk rock wasn't always a sound, it was a scene, and and part of that scene was The Dictators. And, you know, they started in 1973, uh, you know, uh, five Jew four or five Jewish boys out of the Bronx. They're all Jews, which I loved. You know, being a, a young Jew myself, I, just so cool to me. Um, a band that I, you know, look up to in that kind of way. Uh, just New York Jews from the Bronx uh, writing songs about, you know, really wacky stuff. You know, it's funny. Part of what led to Legs McNeil coining the term punk for, you know, uh, music was the dictators, you know. And the way that that worked was that they, you know, the dictators were basically like, they were like a walking, talking mad magazine is what they were. And the stuff that they wrote about was, you know, TV shows and I don't know, junk food and, you know, lines like I drink Coca-Cola for breakfast. I got Jackie Onassis in my pants. I mean, I love Toot Toot Tub Man which is sung by Handsome Dick Manitoba, was the sing, uh, secret weapon. See, at this time, uh, when they put out Girl Go Crazy uh, in 75, uh, Manitoba was not the de facto lead singer yet. It was still Andy Sherdinoff. Andy did an interview on the channel. So if, if you go back to one of the earliest episodes of Pizza Pug, I had Andy on the show. Um, Two Tub Man was like, Two Tub Man, again, like talking about like songs that like, like social politics, you know, song and songs that like really like defined me or like that really spoke to me as a young person. A song like Two Tub Man, you know, uh, really spoke to me, just the lyrics and what he was talking about and just sort of again like i just hearing like i drink coca-cola for breakfast i'm like yeah that is i don't actually drink coca-cola for breakfast but i'm just like that kind of sensibility um weekend that's a great song uh they have some cynical songs they have a song called master race rock which is so funny to me because they're a bunch of jews that was the joke <laughs> master race rock Back to Africa, great fucking song. Uh, I don't know. Is that song problematic today? I don't want to think so. I haven't I have to take a look at the lyrics. They cover California Sun. So before the before the Ramones who would, you know, I mean, they got they were iconically, iconically would uh cover California Sun. The dictators did it first, and their version is very different. They, you know, 
they would do they did these covers they also did um uh, uh i got you babe sunny and share i got you babe on this record you know it, it's just it was a goof man it was cheesy it's like it's like doing it's like doing dumb things because they're funny and that kind of encapsulates what the dictators were about and kind of encapsulates what legs mcneil saw in the dictators that made him go yeah this is punk man like punk this is what punk is and of course the ramones would run run like crazy with that sort of cynical you know uh silly i don't know i'm, I'm at a loss for words that that kind of subject matter i guess is what i'm trying to say um it's a great record all the way through. I can listen to listen to every single song as a friggin' banger, especially Two Tub Man. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, eventually what would happen is that you know they put out a bunch of albums, Stay with Me, Blood Brothers, off, they had Stay with Me, I Stand Tall, great songs. They did a record called D, D F F D Dictators Forever and Ever Dictators, and that has some great songs on it. Um, Burn Baby Burn. Who will save rock and roll? I am right. I saw the Stooges covered with bruises. I did see the Dictators open for the Stooges at that same that little little Stevens festival. I've talked about that before. And um, yes, we know that uh, right from from the book. We know Handsome Dick gone to a brawl with Jane County, formerly Wayne County. Yes, she uh, she uh, knocked him in the face with the microphone at CBGB's. No, it was at Max's Kansas City. And the dictators were blacklisted from playing in New York City for a while. And then eventually CBGB's Hilly was like, no one, I'm no one's gonna tell me who could play my club. So they let them, they let them back in. They let them play again. Um <clears throat> the dictators put out a new record and only, they still exist without handsome dick which is very upsetting to me i feel like they need handsome dick in order to completely be the dictators actually that's not true they also don't have uh scott top ted kepner he has alzheimer's so or dementia so he had to stop playing and he was so essential to the the sound those two get him his guitar locking with with uh ross the boss's guitar ross of course was also ross of course is also a founding member of man of war and he has his own band called Ross the Boss. But Ross and Andy, they're out there playing as the dictators today. God bless them. And uh, I haven't really listened to any of the new music. I got to check it out, I suppose. Um, I love the dictators, though. Fucking love the dictators. Um, you, you really can't go wrong with, with this band or particularly this album. Definitely give it a listen. It's not, you know, it's funny. You're going to sit there and go, oh, well, this isn't punk rock at all. It is. It totally is, man. It's so, in fact, it's not trying to chase a sound. It's just doing its thing. It's just hard rock. It's more Blue Oyster Cult than it is, you know, punk rock, but that's okay, you know? Um, Yeah, fucking dictators, man. So great. So that's Dictators Go Girl Crazy. Gotta get this record if you don't have it. I think they did a remaster, like a, they did like a reissue remaster. That's pretty great. Um, and it's worth definitely worth your time. Um, all right, we're 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 making progress here. <clears throat> For my next record, I am picking the boys next door, door door. Okay, so who are the boys next door? Well, the boys next door 
would eventually change their name in 1980. In 1980 or 1981, they would change their name to the birthday party. And very soon after that, a few years, maybe by 85 or 86, the birthday party changed their name again. And they started calling themselves Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And that's what they've been ever since. And, um, you know, I love Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I like some birthday party. It's kind of interesting, actually. You know, a similar kind of trajectory as Danzig, you know. For Glenn Danzig, his bands are all just an evolution. The Misfits evolved into Sam Hain, which evolved into Danzig for Glenn. To him, it's a continuation from one thing to the next, right? And to a weird kind of extent, I feel like I feel like Nick Cave has been on a similar sort of track, you know. Um, the boys next door are shifting into the birthday party, which kind of lines up with Sam Hain, which is very much influenced by the birthday party. And then that's, you know, musically, that's where, where things end because the bad seeds, you would really wouldn't call the bad seeds punk rock per se. You would, they're, they're just, I don't know what they are. Um, although Nick cave does get Nick cave is known as the Prince of darkness from time to time. And, um, <clears throat> You know, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call the Bad Seeds. They're not particularly gothic, although Murder Ballads is a very sort of, it's not a gothic album. It's just a very grim, it's, you know, it's traditional folk songs that he rearranged, that they rearranged the band, the Bad Seeds. I love the Bad Seeds, by the way. There's a lot that, uh, there's a lot that's acquired taste listening, like, you know, but there's some great stuff. They had a great run, a great, great run in the 90s. They really did. I like, listen, Skeleton Tree and the last one that came out were pretty good. Those last two albums they did. They have a new album coming out. But the band, you know, Mick Harvey and Nick Cave had been together. I don't know who else from the band stayed for as long as those two guys. Uh, Mick Harvey and Nick Cave basically played together from 1976 all the way through 2009 when Mick Harvey left. And he was kind of, I feel like, I guess he was kind of pushed out creatively because Nick Cave got really, he warmed up to Warren. Um, God, what's his last name? Warren Ellis. I think the, the, the fiddle player. Um, But before all that, to go back to the beginning, before all that, you had the boys next door and they were this band. They recorded this right before they moved to London and then they would change their name. And uh, it's 10 tracks. They did a bunch of, they did a bunch of tracks besides this one. There, there's more songs than just this. Um, <clears throat> but these are, there's masturbation nation and they did a cover of these boots were made for walking. And then they have these songs and then the band changed to the birthday party, as I mentioned. Every song on this record is phenomenal. It's just a, it's a phenomenal record. It's a phenomenal time capsule. The songs are more poppy. What influenced them to go in the direction that they did with the uh, birthday party? I don't know. Um, R Roland, Rowland S. Howard, who is sort of like, he wrote the song Shivers. Shivers, everybody knows, everybody knows 
the song Shivers. That's probably the the the, the most famous song to come from uh, Door Door. It's a weird. Why would you call the album Door Door? The Boys Next Door Door Door. It's a weird sort of name for now. But this, you know, Night Watchman. Every single one of these songs. There is a sort of teenage romanticism to all of the songs, but it's Shivers is the standout song. I've talked about Shivers before, a, a song of, of, of deep personal heartache. It was written by Rowland S. Howard when he was, I'm probably saying his name wrong, um, when he was 15 years old. And, you know, he would go on and play that song. He kind of hated that song, but he would continue to play it. After he split up from the bad, he, he he left the birthday party and went on his own trip. Uh, and but Nick Cave, I mean Nick Cave did the definitive version on the Boys Next Door, and it's just oh, it's a haunting song. Haunting is the way to describe it. Um, I've been contemplating, you know what, but it doesn't really suit my style. Uh, it's so good. It, it's such a great. It's a, such a great song. Uh, every one of these songs is good. Every one of them. Brave Exhibitions, Friends of My World, The Voice, Roman, Roman, yours. So Roman, Roman is probably the most, I don't know, adolescent song. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like a schoolyard. I don't know. It's, that feels like a real, you know, they're not proud of this, this album. Nick Cave has said, he's like, eh, we don't really, I don't really like, he kind of cringes over this material. But I think it's, I frankly, I think of all the stuff that Nick Cave has ever done, of all the stuff I've ever listened to of Nick Cave, even, you know, even like Let Love In from 1994 or Murder Ballads, which I think are the two strongest Bad Seeds albums, um, I think this is the best stuff he's ever done, really. It's kind of funny how the first stuff is the best stuff, but that's my, that's my feeling on it. Um, somebody's watching me. Oh my God, is that fucking, that is such a good song. That is such a good friggin' song. They're just, they're just sort of, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of poppy teenage angst kind of tracks. I don't know how else to describe them for lack of better word. Um, I just really enjoy everyone, especially Shivers. Perfect album closer. We talked about how, we talked about how I said before how Christian death, um, Opening with First Communion, one of the best opening tracks on a record. Shivers might be one of the best closers. And it's it's just the perfect way to end an album. You know, in general, when you're when you're making an album, you have to your closing song, it's got to be something that the listener is looking forward to. You know what I mean? Like I'm like when I listen to Boys Next Door, Door Door, I'm like, I'm on a mission to get to Shivers, you know that that final fucking song um not i enjoy i enjoy the journey to get getting to it but it's that final song that i'm after and by putting it at the end it's like it's like the it's like the horse and the carrot right the leading the horse with the carrot so yeah freaking um boys next door 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 if you've never listened to it check it out that's something i need to get on vinyl i do not have it on vinyl it's something that i very much want to have on vinyl for certain for sure okay this next one is a big one <clears throat> tsol beneath the shadows okay we talked about christian death 
and how they have sort of a crazy band history. Well, TSOL also has a crazy band history. Um, I know some of the guys in TSOL a little bit. I was hanging out with them not too long ago. Uh, I was helping them. I was kind of like gophering, gophering for them uh, when they did some shows out here. So it was kind of cool to to hang out with those guys. I watched them sound check and do all this stuff, and it was it was it was just fun to be you know uh, you know like a crew guy for 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 a day or two at uh, Irving Plaza. They played with the Garden. Um, this is one of my favorite. I mean, I love all their records. I really do. This is a band whose records I I love all of them. Um, but and if you really made me like, I could have gone back and forth. I could have put "Dance with Me" on here. I could have gone, hmm, eh, hmm, eh. but like at the end of the day, it's beneath the shadows. It's always beneath the shadows. Beneath the shadows feels like a cohesive singular record statement uh as opposed to dance with me which feels more i know it's an album but it feels more like a collection of songs it doesn't it doesn't have the same cohesiveness that beneath the shadows does and the reason why i think that is is because you know the band this is a band i'm going to talk about their history in a second this is a band that always gets thrown in with like horror punk or death especially death rock and really death rock you know, they're not, they're, they're at the same time. If you ask any, anybody who's into punk rock right off the street, what is TSOL? They're going to say, oh yeah, they're hardcore punk. They're hardcore West coast punk. That's also true. I mean, they are, but they're, they're a death rock band that carry themselves as a hardcore punk rock band. Like they're, if you listen to the guitars and you listen to the drums and just the bass and everything that they're doing, everything that they're doing is death rock without trying to be, which to me is infinitely more cooler than say being like, Hey, we're a death rock band. What should we do? Like they just do it, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at song like sounds of laughter, I mean, this is we're talking about dance with me, dance with me, obviously code blue, silent scream, the triangle, um, 80 times. I mean, all these songs are basically death rock songs, basically to an extent, but they're just, they're played with like a hardcore energy, which just makes them even better. And then, you know, this record, they added Greg on keys greg is brilliant greg uh cruin cruin oh my god i hope i'm so sorry greg i know you're not going to watch this but if you did i'm sorry for butchering your last name greg's sons are the dudes in fiddler by the way which is even cooler fucking cool as hell that his sons are in fiddler uh elvis and max <clears throat> so they add a keyboard and this feels like you know their 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 sound is evolving. You know, they're not trying Greg Kuhn. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you, Alexander. Sorry, Greg. Um they're they're trying to they're trying to, you know, elevate their sound. They're like taking it to another level. They're they're growing. That's what it is. That's the word. Sorry. That's the word I'm trying to say. They are growing as a band. They've added the keyboard. They're listening to different stuff and they're starting to venture into, I guess what you would qualify labeling them as sort of like uh post-punk, right? They're, they're, you label them. They're kind of like, they're kind of like 
going in that sort of post-punk joy division sort of sound you know they're experimenting they're just they're going out there and their fans did not like that if you read any books or watch documentary or whatever they talk about how the fans were not pleased like just the audiences that would come to see them and they 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 drew big they were they were a big draw in southern california and people started to get fed up they were not happy with the sound and the band in the most you know the band being the band jack grisham being jack grisham like fuck you fuck you this is who we are this is what we do and they've always had that attitude and i love them for that i really do i really do especially their last record trigger complex i loved it i fucking loved it i loved everything about it i love that the 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 big bold swings that they took you know a lot of people gave them shit for that record but it was like they were so true to their artistic nature they they're searchers of a sound man and that's what they were doing with beneath the shadows they were searching for a sound and they fucking found it and it's just it's perfect again another example of a song that is just the perfect opener is soft focus um <clears throat> and you know forever old feels like a very you know intro uh reflective song they're great man they all they're all a part of the same it's almost kind of like obviously they're not all one song but they kind of feel like they're part of this motif this you know i would it's wouldn't call it a concept album but they're part of this uh framework that is beneath the shadows like you know i know i don't know i know that the songs that the, the on that first ep were written as the same time at the same time as dance with me but what's interesting is those songs are kind of collected there it's the perfect collection of those songs like that the tsol ep you know um those those songs which kind of have like a political bend to them they all kind of work because they all kind of you know deal with that they they talk about you know politics 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 you know world war three and all that jazz um you would they would feel weird those songs would feel weird if they were on dance with me even though they were all written at the same time rolling it's rolling not roland rolling s howard thank you sorry <laughs> i'm terrible with that <coughs> oh my god my throat is dying we're almost through so <clears throat> yeah these but these songs they feel oh my god so beneath the shadows the song beneath the shadows so fucking epic um glass streets is an instrumental jack wrote that on piano um first he says it was the first thing that he ever wrote on piano uh because <clears throat> i was asking him about it when i was with them i didn't know that he wrote it i didn't know that he even played piano i i was i love glass streets it's such a great instrumental you just can't go wrong and the best part is the album is so short man it's like i don't even know how long it's got to be like 20 23 24 minutes or something maybe 27 minutes um you you are you're you're in and out and wash away of course the big hit song is wash away and that's that's become one of their big hits wash away um it's just such a great song raindrops roll down my window all that's left is a picture someday you two will wash away 
um, wild horses dragged my lover from me. You know, I always thought that 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 song was inspired by the Rolling Stone song as well as Blade Runner. Like those two things combined together. Um, <clears throat> another song that I, was written after this album came out was Darker My Love, which never, they eventually did a demo for it. And when I was with Jack, when I was talking with Jack, when I was uh, we were eating pizza, and I said, I really hope that you take those four songs, Darker My Love, uh, the, the Lou Reed cover, Perfect Day, the Damned cover, Politics, and uh, White American, and you put them, he's doing a compilation. It's probably uh, the, the, what could be, who knows, could be the final TSOL record. And I said, dude, you got to include those. I hope he does. I hope he includes those on, on, the, on the thing. Um, in any case, Darker My Love would have fit perfectly on Beneath the Shadows because it was a part of suburbia. Everybody knows the song, but you know, it's not actually on any of the original recordings. Like they never it never came out with the original. You know, they did two EPs and two albums, and that was it. And then the original band was up. Um, you just you can't go wrong with this record. Every single song is a banner, a banger. Um and they just go wild with the keyboards that just fills in, just adds so much to the sound. I love it. I love everything about this record. I really, really do. And obviously, I love Wash Away. Uh, Waiting for You is the perfect closer. Um, I think the the uh, I think if you I, I've never listened to it on a vinyl. I think it opens. I think the B side opens with Glass Streets, which is the perfect opener for that. That's I have to think about records too sometimes, like. You know they're sequenced for if they're if, if if they're an LP they're sequenced in an LP style, which means you have side A and side B right, and therefore you have to have a side A opener and a side B opener and a side A closer and a side B closer before you flip the record. So that that's another interesting way to kind of look at it. I'm trying to think of what else I could say about TSOL. So I mean, what ended up happening is insane. So <clears throat> uh, Greg. Jack and Todd, the drummer, they left. They they had some disagreements about you know what to do with the band. Jack wanted to start over and just they wanted to stay the band, but just start over with a new name. And the other guys didn't want to do that and something along those lines. And so those guys left, and then they got two new guys. They got Jack's brother-in-law of all people, Jack's brother-in-law, this guy Joe Wood. He took over as the singer, and this guy Mitch was the drummer. And then they slowly went from being like post-punk death rock to sort of turning into like hard rock rhythm and blues, you know, playing shows with Guns N' Roses. And then what happened was, one by one, Ron Emery and Mike Roach both left the band, right? They got they were They were heavy in drugs. And they eventually left the band, and that left no original members in the band. And then the original members wanted to get together and jam as TSOL, and they were blocked by Joe Wood. Isn't that fucking like just the most banana story you ever heard? So those guys, the original members, the guys who started the fucking band, who are no longer in the band anymore, 
now have to play shows as just them going by their names or whatever. They're, you know, they did a live record. It's great. What a crazy situation. And then eventually, eventually they were able to get the band name back and they've been together ever since. And I don't know, maybe it could be, the, could spell the end of them sooner than later. Um, who knows? Um, Time, time will tell, but I, man, I, yes, Cathedral of Tears is a really interesting part. That was his band. That was Jack's band right after TSOL. And then he had another project called Tender Fury. And then obviously the Joy Killer. Now, if you ask me, the Joy Killer sounds, the Joy Killer actually sounds like modern TSOL. Like you listen to those Joy Killer records and they're not too far off from disappear and divided we stand um which they put out on nitro records which is the offspring record label um all in all fucking love tsol i've seen tsol in new york for every new york show they've played since cbgb's in 2005 the only time i missed them was one time at irving plaza when they played with the damned in 2018 i never missed a new york city show Love that band. Love, love, love that band. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 my number seven pick. <clears throat> okay. Up next, excuse me, my like I said, I'm sick and my throat is thrashed right now. This is a, probably the most unconventional pick of all on uh, my list. This is not. You don't think of this band as a punk band. This next band. You don't think of this band as a punk band at all. You think of them as an indie rock band, and you'd be right. However, you know, um, the the singer, songwriter, frontman, lead singer, leader of the band, you know, he listened to Husker Du and Iggy Pop and Lou Reed and David Bowie. You know, he has influences as much as he loves the Beatles and as much as he loves, you know, uh, as much as the guitarist loves ELO, they, you know, their 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 roots are firmly planted, you know, in punk rock or at least punk rock adjacent roots. And and my pick for this next record, it's actually actually I kind of disqualified myself because this isn't a record. This is technically it's an EP, and that would be bum bum bum, the Pixies come on Pilgrim. This record is so fucking punk. So fucking punk as fuck. What makes it punk? Man, uh, so it, the record started off life as something else. It wasn't a re it wasn't uh Come on Pilgrim. It was actually something called The Purple Tape. It was 17 songs that were recorded as a demo. And then when the band got signed to 4AD in England, which is kind of like a like a post-punk gothic label, what have you. Um, the the head of the label loved the purple tape so much that he said, "What? Well, let's pick a bunch of songs off of this tape and put them out as an EP. And that's how you get Come On Pilgrim. Now, when it comes to records, I don't mind long records. I don't mind short records. Um, I have a particular affinity, though, for short for short records. And the reason why is because 
there there's something about there's something so appealing to me about a piece of music that doesn't overstay its welcome that's not to say there aren't great albums that are long look at like the who tommy is a long fucking record it's a long record it's over an hour long you know and that's great and it's great like you know in college when i'm writing like a term paper and i have to like pull an all-nighter and stay up all night like i don't have any problem throwing on tommy by like you know oh interlude overture you know like it's great but when it comes to punk rock i like the shorter the better <clears throat> there's something in the same way that there's brilliance and simplicity there's also brilliance in brevity what do i mean by that i mean there's brilliance in just being quick it coming in and coming out it's like being the perfect opening band. You know, I just saw the Bad Nerves open for a band called Royal Blood. And you've heard me talk here how much I love Bad Nerves. And surely that album could have been on this list. <clears throat> but the thing that I loved more, more than anything about Bad Nerves and their set list was the fact that it was like 22 minutes, right? They just in and fucking out, man. In and out. Hold on. I'm getting a message on WhatsApp. I saw it. What the hell? Oh, shit. That's bad. Oh, no. Not going to talk about that on the air. <clears throat> what was I talking about? Punk rock. And right, right. The, the 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 brevity of a just a, a the there's brilliance in brevity and the bad nerves man they put they they're they play in a scorching you know 12 songs in 22 minutes something like that it's just perfect that's perfect to me so when i look at a record like come on pilgrim and it's just eight songs and it's it's just about 20 minutes long that's perfect man you know because for me, I want to be able to, you know, play the same record over and over again. If I could play your record three times in an hour, I would much rather listen to your record three times in an hour than listen to it one time in an hour, if that makes any sense. I, I don't know. You know, songs, music, I want to listen to it in sequence. And this one, uh, all the all the Pixies records are special to me. That This is a band where I can listen to every single record in sequential order and listen to every single track in track order. I'll listen to the entire discography song by song by song in sequence all the way through. Uh, their body of work is that special and that important to me. Uh, sure, there are songs that I like less than other songs, but man, fucking come on, Pilgrim. Mm, God, does that fucking do it right? It opens with a song called Caribou. And, you know, the thing, again, much like Iggy Pop, and I wonder, you know, I know that Frank Black, Black Francis, as he's known, uh, was a big fan of Lust for Life, but I wonder if he was a fan of Funhouse. Because <clears throat> there's if, if there's someone who can shriek, if there's someone who can scream better than Iggy Pop on Funhouse, it's fucking Black Francis nobody screams like black francis he has he opens he opens his like his lungs he opens his heart i don't know what i'm trying to say 
he he screams from the bottom of his black heart and soul about like these deep inner machinations, you know. He talks a lot about the Bible. You could tell there's, you know, he's talking about biblical imagery, incest, like weird surrealism. He's a big surrealist and he's his lyrics are like poetry. I've sat and studied these lyrics endlessly. I used to recite them like scripture. You know, a song like Caribou, um, which is very simple in, in its, you know, it's a very simple song and it's about regretting like wanting to sort of be reincarnated as a caribou regretting this human form uh this human form i now repent caribou um <clears throat> the screaming and then you know track two vamos he just starts busting out into like really bad spanish His spanish is not very good it's not formal spanish it's a type of Spanish where if you sing it to someone who speaks Spanish, they'll laugh at you because it's not, you know, it's it's Black Francis's, you know, Spanish, but through an English filter. I don't know how else to describe it. Vamos a jugar por la playa. Um, you got Joey going crazy on the guitars. Here's the thing. Joey Santiago and Black Francis are like two sides of the same coin. Everybody always talks about Kim Deal and Black Francis. You know, you have these these this masculine energy and this feminine energy locking in and linking up and they're singing and it's great. But there's a third singer. Joey Santiago is as much of a singer as he is a guitar player. He makes his guitar sing. And he doesn't make his guitar sing as much as he makes his guitar scream. He tortures his guitar in such ways that he's basically matching Black Francis's screaming with his, you know, sonic tones. And he does it on Vamos. He's basically giving the neck a hand job. It's like making it just shriek and howl. Um, and then we follow it up with another song in Spanish, uh, Isla de Encanta, uh, Donde No Hay Sufrimiento. Um, you know, I don't even know what the hell he's saying. There's like, he speaks so fast in Spanish. And there's this great part, you know, this is probably the most punk song. I, I You know, if you want to like, like what, like what traditional, like the punk sound, like what it sounds like. And it's crazy because they wrote this in 87. But the sound is almost kind of like 90s punk, or at least the, the, the drums are. I don't know how else to describe it. it it's, uh, it's, it's a great, oh my God, it's really great. It's like really simple. It's like, you know, down, 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 kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of sounded a little bit like Motorhead just now, but not. I don't know. Maybe it would be kind of interesting to hear Isla de Encanta covered like a Motorhead song. That would be really interesting. Um, <clears throat> me voy, me voy, me voy. Don't know, don't know. Canahan, canta la babe. What are we doing here? It's just, it's so weird. And then you know, there's also a lot of dynamics. You know, they always talk about that: the loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet. And they, you know, they. They perfected it, man. They perfected that dynamic. 
Kurt Cobain famously said he was very influenced by the Pixies. You know, when he was doing Smells Like Teen Spirit is supposed to be Kurt Cobain trying to rip off a Pixie song. The loud, quiet, loud aesthetic, which is not something that the Pixies invented, but it's something that they innovated and just did so well in all of their music. And in Isla de Encanta, there's this point where they just stop playing and then Frank lets out this loud scream. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then the album really starts to sizzle. The, the record starts to sizzle with Ed is dead. What does Ed is dead mean? There are a lot of angular, weird kind of, you know, melodies. You know, nothing is, you know, they are very capable of doing poppy things. I mean, look at like UMass, look at Here Comes Your Man is a very Beatles-esque, you know, poppy sort of song. But then you have stuff like Ed is Dead, which is just like so angular and weird. Again, surrealist. Um, and then it goes into this, it goes into the holiday song and Nimrod's son, um, which are songs that I always felt they were songs about prophecy, about finding out who you really are in the world. Finding out, um, <clears throat> just finding out the the truth of of where you came from in some way shape or form one night upon my motorcycle through the desert sped i smashed my body so that all my friends thought i was dead my sister came in close and whispered to my weary head you are the son of a motherfucker i shook all night and held her hand oh man i'm i don't remember what it is <clears throat> Land of plenty, land of fun, to find out I'm Nimrod's son. Oh, bury me far away, please bury me down. I mean, the, the song just goes all over. It has such weird parts, man. And then he's doing this weird cackling. <laughs> That's not it at all. He's I'm just I'm just not doing it. Any the joke, the joke is uh all around me, has come upon me. Um, and then, yeah, you get to I've Been Tired. One, two, three. She's a real webbinger because she's been down south. He said, I could tell you stories that will make you cry. What about you? I said, me too. I could tell you a story that would make you cry. And she said, ah, I said, I want to be a singer like Lou Reed. I like Lou Reed. She said, sticking her tongue in my ear. Let's go. Let's sit. Let's talk. Politics goes so good with being so wild about it. Why don't you tell me one of your biggest fears? I said, losing my penis to a hole with disease. Just kidding. I said, losing my life to a hole with disease. Excuse me, please. I said, losing my life to a hole with disease. She said, please. I love fucking great song. T-I-R-E-D spells it. Fuck, that's great. Uh, and then, yeah, levitate me is this song about faith. It's a song about looking up to God and like hoping that God is there. I don't know. I don't know if that's what the song is about. I sort of just, you know, that's what I think about when I listen to that song. Yeah. And then the song, the line, come on pilgrim, you know, he loves you. That's where the, the name come on pilgrim uh, comes from. Give me help, you can levitate me. Take off these rings, 
off these holes. Sorry, I'm like butchering. My voice is terrible. Levitate me higher place. They kicked a baby. Elevator lady, elevator, elevator. Lady, levitate me. It's just, it's just great, man. It's great. It doesn't make any sense. You know, when Frank Black is asked, when, when Black Francis is asked about, you know, when he's asked, like, like, what are your lyrics about? Which is something that, like, no artist wants to fucking hear, right? Like, no artist wants to fucking hear that. And, like, he always just says, like, it just sounds pretty. And that's bullshit, man. Every one of these fucking lyrics means something in some way, shape, or form. Especially, like, like Doolittle is the one. I could talk about Doolittle for fucking... I could literally do three hours on Doolittle. I could sit here... And almost recite recite the entire album from the fucking like lyrically from the top of my mind, and just go through that entire album like song by song. I even I I even drew a mural about Doolittle. I, I like I love the fucking Pixies. You don't understand. I never talk about my love for the Pixies. I always talk about my love for the Misfits and stuff. I love the fucking Pixies to death. Um, and that's it, man. And, you know, everybody always thought, I always thought when I saw this image, I always kind of thought that that might have been Black Francis himself on the cover because he's like bald. He's like this weird, hairy guy. I always think of like Beauty and the Beast, too. Um, there's something about the imagery. There, there's imagery in the songs. There's imagery in the music, but there's also imagery in the photography for all of their releases. They're not only are they a punk band in my heart and soul, but like they're they're like they're surrealists. They're like surrealists in the greatest sense of the word. And I love them. Go listen to Come On Pilgrim. <laughs> Mushroom Mushrooms here. He says, Jeff, I love you, bro. I've been watching since the beginning. I remember, I remember, I remember when you were you were here all the way back when. Been watching since the beginning when you talked about West End Avenue, but I got to open a restaurant. <laughs> So my tire ass is going to bed. All right. Have a good shift. Kevin agrees. It's a great album. <clears throat> All right. Um, what's next? We're, we're almost done here. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. All right. We talked about this one recently, very recently. And I was like, I got to put this on here. Uh, why? Because I just wanted a really eclectic group of albums to recommend. And I probably won't have too much to say about it, but uh, this is a record I can listen to from top to bottom endlessly, and I never get tired of it. And again, I have to give all the preamble precursor stuff about it because, you know, uh, because fuck this guy and he's a piece of shit. But um, motherfucking Gigi Allen always was, is, and always shall be. We've talked about this recently. This is not actually just Gigi Allen. This is Gigi and the Jabbers. The Jabbers were the band that contained Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen sang and played drums for the Jabbers. Um, they're kind of like they're kind of like trying to do Dead Boys meets the Stooges. The songs are poppy, a lot poppier than the, either one of those bands. <coughs> And Gigi's trying to sing. He's really putting his heart and soul into trying to be a singer. And, you know, for that reason, I fucking love it, man. Um, these songs are great. A great album opener. Bored to death. Beat, beat, beat. One, <laughs> one man army. Ass face. Uh, there's a sketch called Pussy Summit Meeting, <laughs> which is just so great. Um, I love Sherry Love Affair. 
that is a great fucking song. Automatic is great. I need adventure. All of these songs. Don't talk to me as a song that he would continue to perform when he really went downhill. Um, that's probably you know I always thought of that kind of as like the hit on the record, even though I think every one of these songs is a hit. Probably the the probably the best song on the record. I'd have to say is unpredictable. Uh, girls are so unpredictable. But, but there's a snottiness. There's that snot. There's a snottiness to these songs. I mean, they're so that they've got hooks for days. Girls are so unpredictable. Well, and then 1980s rock and roll is probably the most generic song um i am bored to death i'm just so bored of the human race i'm sick of life dun, 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 dun. i mean it's great the the whole record is great i really can't and it's sad because it shows that gg and the jabbers like they were capable of putting out good music and then it just devolved. He just absolutely devolved. And we went, we we did such a deep dive on Gigi Allen. I'm not going to repeat any of it here. There's really nothing more to say about it, except that, you know, Gigi Allen is Gigi Allen. And, you know, it just, it's a shame. It's a shame. But I'm glad that we got at least one good album, you know, from Gigi Allen. Because everything else is just about nigh unlistenable. The, the songs, everything's just shock value. And this is him legitimately. And it's funny how, when he actually tries, when he actually tried to put out music, like, you know, or take music seriously, he did a pretty good job of it, you know? And those Jabber guys, they were still around. They were doing shows and stuff. I don't know if they still are, but they were kind of like one of those situations where the main guy leaves or dies. And then the band kind of gets together. Kind of like, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, the quarrymen, the way the quarrymen after John, Paul, and George left, um, the quarrymen continued to play as a band without, you know, the heart and soul that made the quarrymen the quarrymen. And I, I feel like the jabbers were out there doing these songs, which would have been fine by me. I would have actually loved to have seen them. I would have happily gone. Frankly, it would have been even better without Gigi because there just would have been less feces, right? So, um, yeah. I really, really like this record a whole lot. Again, and it's a fast record, man. Again, it got to be, has to be 23, 24 minutes. It's really, really short. You can play it three times in an hour and just really enjoy it, have a good time. I mean, again, or you could take three albums that are 20 minutes long and have an even better fucking time. You know? That's why short records are the fucking shit. I'm all about short records. I, I like that. I like that a lot. There's a lot. Yes, Hated. Hated is a good documentary. There's another one with his mother and his brother that is also good. Um, <clears throat> so, all right, we're up to number 10. All right, 10. This is a big one. This is a big one for me. I fucking absolutely adore this record. The truth is that I could have put, I could have put uh, one of three records on here, and I chose this one because it was my first one. This is the one that got me into this band. They are called X, and this is Under the Big Black Sun. I love X. I have I have all three. They reissued all three of the the first records. I have them all on on 
gold-plated vinyl that they limited to 500 each. Um, <clears throat> these songs are so great. All three of those albums are produced by Ray Manzarek from The Doors as well. He plays keyboards on uh, Soul Kitchen, a cover that they did on the, the first album. Uh, <clears throat> I believe in total, Ray ended up producing four of their records. Um, they were on Electra just like the doors were. So it's kind of weird. They kind of, they're, they're from LA. They sort of follow the doors in a lot of that kind of way in that sort of tradition. I don't know. Um, and that or spiritually in some, some way, shape or form the hungry wolf again, talk about openers, man. I am the hungry wolf. I run endlessly with my mate. So good. And then it flows right into motel room in my bed. Uh, some of these songs were written so Exine's sister died, and I think "Come Back to Me," "Come Back to Me" is about her sister dying. There's a maturity in the same way that that TSOL matured with "Beneath the Shadows" in in their, in their songwriting. Um, "Under the Big Black Sun" is just a ginormous jump in songwriting maturity and like maturing for the band X. And, and these, these songs are just tremendous. They really are. So yeah. So motel room in my bed, talk about, we've talked about great openers. We've talked about great closers. As far as closers to go, the have nots is not my favorite closer on a record, but as far as follow-up, like, you know, it's important to have a good opener song, but, even more important in some way, shape, or form is the second song. What is the song you're following up with your opener to really pull the listener in? And Motel Room in My Bed just fucking hits that spot. It's the perfect track to follow up um, The Hungry Wolf. And then that, that flows so well into Riding with Mary. I always prefer the album version of Riding with Mary as uh, over the single version, which is has a slightly different arrangement. It has like a weird keyboard thing going on. Uh, Come Back to Me is a very sad song. Um, haunting song. Haunting. I know I've used that word a few times in this episode, but it's true. It fit way well, hey, when the when the shoe fits the bell, right? When the shoe fits the foot, when the foot fits the shoe. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just a really sort of sad song. It's got this beautiful, I think it's a saxophone solo uh, that plays through it. And that goes into Under the Big Black Sun, probably the best song on the track. I'd say if I had to rank the songs themselves, Under the Big Black Sun, The Hungry Wolf, uh, Because I Do, which is just like a fun, playful track, great way to follow up Big Black Sun. And then you really, I feel like the, the album from here, like after those first six songs, the album starts to, it's almost like it's starting to decline, not decline. It's starting to, it's starting to like, uh, it, it slopes downward. That's the only way I can describe it. Blue Spark. It's kind of like a, a, a more reflective song. And then Dancing with Tears in My Eyes is very interesting because that is, um, that's a cover by Lead Belly. Lead Belly, the, I don't know, he's a blues player, but their version is so beautiful oh is it beautiful it has this sort of hawaiian bend to it dancing with tears in my eyes because the girl in my arms isn't you dancing with somebody new 
when it's you that my heart's going through. I'm trying to smile once in a while, but I found it won't do. I mean, Lead Belly's version is very beautiful as well. I mean, it's very uh, Lead Belly's version is sad. And this one is, yeah, I guess they're both sad, but this one has the Hawaiian stuff going on in it. It's great. Beautiful cover. And that goes right into Real Child of Hell, which which is a great track, actually. I'd say that's probably the, I'd say after Dancing with Tears in My Eyes, that's probably the highlight on the back end of this album. And that goes into How I Learned My Lesson and The Have-Nots. And it's just Man, what a great, what a great fucking album, like all the way through. I you really need to listen, much like you need to just enjoy the the Ramones first four records, like you know, in sequence, in order. X is another one of those bands, like the Pixies. Like I can listen to these three records, those three records, adult books. No, what is it? What's the second one? Fuck, what's the name of the second record? Uh self-tied, no, Los Angeles. Uh, Wild Gift. I can listen to Los Angeles, Wild Gift, and Under the Big Black Sun in in sequence w- without without hesitation, without fail. Wow. They put out, that's amazing. They did four records in four years with Ray. Hmm. Um, it's great, man. It, it, it is absolutely their, their best record. I mean, people will say that Los Angeles is their best record. I love Los Angeles. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I can listen to all those songs all the way through. But, you know, Under the Big Black Sun was my first X record. And for that reason, it just remains, it it holds a special place. You know, I thought initially when I set out to do this, I had 20 records and I thought I would be able to just talk about them and just move on. And I realized that, I realized that like, just doing 10 records that I really love has brought us to two hours. Like that's really fucking crazy. That's crazy. Okay. Um, but yet here we are. Uh, I'm going to do this again. Um, because I love doing this. Kevin says he keeps his records between 30 to 35 minutes. Kevin, I have a feeling that maybe you and I should try and, make some music we should try and and do some songs because we'll have a lot of fun but it has to be really short like really really short like like (laughs) like just like like short and sweet and to the point i don't know i just like i have such a fucking hankering to like do some songs i was talking with this other guy tim i don't know maybe we'll, we'll see we'll see I want to do something. I want to. I want to try and get it out there, whether I'm, whether it's good or not. I just feel like I just can't let it fucking sit inside. I have all these songs in my head. It's so fucking annoying. Um, that's it. That's the end of the the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we'll be back with some more shows very very soon. Uh, got some secret shows for my Patreons and YouTubes. I just put another secret show up. That's coming in a week. We got that last piece of John Christ, um, the John Christ interview. One more piece before we have to tape again. And um, yeah, more shit, more shit coming, more shit coming always. Thank you for joining me. Peace, air grease. We'll see you next time.